Hello, world, and welcome to the Storytellers Podcast. My name is Lawrence Cohen, and my goal for this podcast is simple. I've always been fascinated by the storytelling process and that oh-so-blurry line that separates the artist from their art. Every session, I intend to interview a new and exciting storyteller, share with you their unique voice, and find out just what does drive them to create the crazy stories we all love and enjoy. If you have the uncontrollable urge to check out more episodes of this podcast and samples of the artist's work, don't forget to visit www.auroralightworks.blogspot.com. Just in case you need help spelling that out, that is Aurora, as in the Northern Lights Aurora Borealis, A-U-R-O-R-A. Light, as in Let There Be Light, L-I-G-H-T, and Works, W-O-R-K-S, dot blogspot.com. And now on with the show. Today it is my pleasure to introduce to you Stephen David Brooks, who is a writer, director, and recovering visual effects supervisor. Uh, my name is Stephen David Brooks, and I... I know that sounds pretentious, but I go by Stephen David Brooks because there was an actor named Stephen Brooks who was in one episode of the original Star Trek TV series and therefore was extremely well-known for some reason. And I was always confused with him. I'd walk into a room and people would go, oh, you're not the guy who played Ensign Garavik in episode six of Star Trek? It's like, no, I'm popular, not. Popular with the ladies, was that? I, <laughs> it was... I, I don't know. It just for some reason, in our IMDb pages were commingled for many years, and it took it took me like three years to get them separated. So that's why I just go by Stephen David Brooks, so people go, "Oh, okay." Of course, now there's a Stephen David Brooks who owns a funeral home, and I get confused with him, so I can't win. Um, anyway, I'm a, uh, a, a director who also writes, which is how I characterize myself. I prefer directing above all, but I write to create material to direct and uh, to get projects jump-started. And uh, while I was, uh, brief history, while I was um, writing at night, my as an amateur, my day job was doing visual effects, and I eventually became a visual effects supervisor before I ever got paid to write a script. Um, so I consider myself to be a director who also writes and a recovering visual effects supervisor. The 2001 A Space Odyssey is a film that it still inspires me. I still watch it. Um, it it's the first time I became aware that there was the point of view of a director in a film. I had seen movies and TV shows before that, but it just sort of looked like events unfolding before me. And with 2001, I was keenly aware that there was a vision behind the movie behind the storytelling, behind the way it was shot, behind the music, behind the entire process. And that's what inspired me. That's when I said, I want to make films. I want to make movies. And that's when I went from shooting stills, which I shot stills as a child, to picking up you know, a movie camera and starting shooting motion pictures, moving images. What, uh, maybe, maybe you could take us through your, your worst uh your worst day or night or experience in this, uh, this uh, turbulent industry? <sighs> Boy. It's been all worse nights. <laughs> I mean, the good, the good days are so few and far between that to narrow it down to one... Okay. Oh, I can tell you. Yes, I have it. Um, shooting uh, Heads and Tails, which is my debut 
feature as a director, even though I directed second unit before that. I've never directed a full film. Uh, we were on a 12-day shoot. We were shooting uh, 35-millimeter because I insisted on shooting film for this particular movie. Um, day three of shooting, and, and the schedule was so tight that if we went past 12 days, I would lose my actors, I would lose my locations. I had to stay absolutely on schedule to shoot in 12 days. Uh, in the middle of day three, we get a call from the lab that 3,000 feet of film, it's like 30 minutes worth of film, for those of you who don't know how big a roll of film is, um, was lost in the lab. So I had lost 30 minutes worth of footage from the previous day. Um, based on the script notes and talking to the DP, I didn't know which three roles had been lost. Oh I couldn't God. say anything to the actors. The actors were working for free, God bless them. The crew was working for very little money, but at least they were getting paid. I couldn't freak out. I couldn't stop shooting. I had to shoot, continue shooting that day, and at lunchtime, try to sort out what rolls of film were lost, what portions of the previous day's scenes were lost, and figure out how to reshoot it, but yet stay on schedule. So, um, I never did find out exactly what roles were, well, I found out after the film was completely shot, what roles were lost. So what happened is we shot out that day. I told the actors, I didn't want to tell them what had really happened. I just explained to them that I wanted to do some reshoots. I wasn't happy with the footage. It was all my fault. Can you mind staying an extra couple of hours? And we're going to pick up some scenes from the previous day. So... What we did was after the day's shooting was done, we went back into the house. Luckily, we were at the same location the next day. Went back into the house. Uh, it was nighttime and it was dark, and I was reshooting daytime scenes. Had a very small lighting package, so we had to fake daylight inside the house. Had to avoid <laughs> shooting out the windows to pick up scenes and moments from scenes that I didn't know if I needed or not. As it turns out, I reshot some things that I already had, and I didn't reshoot things that were actually lost. Um, in editing, it, I mean, that scene to this day bothers the hell out of me because I can see what's missing. No one else seems to notice, which is good. Um, and eventually at the rap party, I told the actors what happened. <laughs> and they said, thank God you didn't tell us. I mean, the last thing I wanted was for the actors to freak out and lose their concentration. And even the, only a couple of people on the crew knew, you know, the DP and the script supervisor, my producer, of course, and the AD knew what had happened. Um, so that, that? Was ab that was absolutely the worst day. <laughs> oh, my God. That's terrible. What, uh, how did you... Uh... I mean, it's possible for the actors to interpret that as is that you weren't happy with their performance. Did you have to deal with any sort of that insecurity or what? I put it, yeah, of course, of course. But I put it all on me. What I, I mean, what I did was, I said I, I'd made some changes, and I want to change a couple of moments in the scene that I think will make it better. I mean, I put it in those terms. I didn't say what you did sucked, and I want to redo it. I mean, that's. <laughs> Did you change some of the dialogue around and some of the beats of the scene, no, I guess? No, no it didn't change anything, but they no, no one seemed to notice. At least they didn't say anything. Wow. See, I had, it, it, you know, there's a bit of advice for aspiring directors. And 
And this comes from having worked as a visual effects supervisor and second year director and watching other directors work. Um, the first day of shooting is, the, and the first scene, the first setup, the first shot is the most critical part of the movie, and here's why, is that trained actors will challenge you to varying degrees. Um, they, will, they are looking to see whether you as a director know what you're doing. And I won over my actors immediately. So they were willing, once you win them over in that first shot of the first scene of the first day, they're gonna, they'll follow you off a cliff. Um, so they didn't even question me when I said we need to reshoot some stuff. They, yeah, great, let's do it, you know? And there was no problem. That's great. But oh, had, I, uh... had I lost them, you know, and I'll tell you the, uh, this apocryphal story. There's an, uh, the extreme version of this is a story that people tell about Marlon Brando. And what Marlon Brando used to do, apparently, is the first shot of the first scene of the first day, he would only do two takes. He would do one where he gave it his all, and he would do one where he didn't try at all. He would just phone it in. And he would wait to see which one the director printed. If the director printed the one where he tried, then the director passed the test, Brando would try the rest of the movie. If the director printed the one where Brando just phoned it in, Brando would just sleepwalk through the rest of the movie and kind of go through the motions. Of course, Brando phoning it in was still great, but... but but still, so yeah, that's that, a, that, it, that led to the Godfather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you had a situation where, let's say, you know, in your earlier years, where uh, an actor did, did test you, or how did you learn this oh, lesson uh, from experience? <laughs> um, uh, I'll tell you how I learned this lesson. I learned this lesson from a great, uh, a great actor who became a friend of mine named Ted Levine. He he was in the first movie I wrote professionally called The Mangler, which was an adaptation of a Stephen King short story. And I was directing second unit, and second unit on a lower budget movie meant that occasionally, to keep on schedule, I'd be left with the principal actors, the main actors, to shoot one or two shots, sometimes an insert, sometimes a close-up, sometimes just to pick up a couple of shots to finish a scene while the main unit moved on to their next, uh, to the next setup. And I was directing Ted, and Ted is one of these kinds of actors who will challenge a director. And I don't remember the exact thing that happened, but I made a suggestion to him, and he rejected it. And I was kind of at a loss. And he, we ended up doing the scene and so on, and I didn't really know him very well at this point. So, you know, Ted Levine was, before he did The Mangler, he was Buffalo Bill in... Uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it rubs the lotion yeah, on the spot. He's, he's, right. right. he's an incredible yeah. actor. Yeah. He's an unbelievable actor, and he's very intense when he works, and he's totally the character, and he and he challenged me. I mean, he wasn't abusive or anything. He was just, you know, in his professional way, he was looking for me to direct him. So he was challenging me, and I, and I failed miserably. And we got the scene and so on, and after that, uh, after the day shooting, we uh, met for a beer, and I started chatting with him. And he was no longer the character, he was Ted. Because once he takes the clothes off and rubs the makeup off and leaves the set, he goes back to being Ted. On, on set, he's the character. And I sat down with Ted, and he was great. He was so generous. He explained to me this process, specifically the process he uses to challenge a director. And 
and I learned from from the mistake I made while shooting that scene to him explaining how it worked, I learned the secret. And I can't really explain how it works, but it's just a matter of you have to know the scene better than the actors do. You have to know the character better than the actors do. Um, you, If you suggest to an actor like Ted, a really professional, talented actor, that the character... He needs to do something that the character wouldn't do. They're going to challenge you on that. They're going to say, you know, my character would not do that. And that's because they've studied the character from the inside. They know what the character is going to do or not going to do. So you have to be so prepared that you can, that you will make suggestions that the actor will go, I didn't think of that, but yeah, absolutely. That would work. Okay, let's try it. So uh, something that interests me is is how an audience member, especially if it's uh, friends of the of the artist, they can recognize uh, a piece of them in the in the work that they're seeing. They can recognize a line of dialogue. It's like, oh my God, that was totally Billy, you know, who 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 wrote that. That that's that's his personality who who came out in that line of dialogue. Even though they're trying to keep themselves removed and keep it specific to the characters, they can't help but inject bits of them into into the work. I was curious if there was any uh, moments like that in any of the works that you've created where you injected a bit of yourself into it, either accidentally or just a specific, a specific moment that you recognize now as this you, 100% you. Well, it, it heads and tails, every word from every character is me. It, it's completely my view of how the universe works how you know how things that seem random are really just is actually this is the 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 quintessential line um you know the things that happen and the things that seem so random are really just someone behind the curtain pulling the strings that line which is a voiceover line uh from the end of heads and tails uh, encompasses that you know that we always think of something happening, uh, a bit of bad luck, a bit of good luck, but if you trace the genesis of that event, there were billions of other events that happened that preceded that, and it always comes back to some powerful person who's kind of manipulating the whole thing behind the scenes. Hmm. That's, uh, and can you tell us a little bit about uh, Heads and Tails? I mean, you did a little bit just there, yeah. but maybe give us yeah. the official yeah. it, of it. it uh, uh, Heads and Tails is, is something that just came to me. I was actually in Paris uh, for a film festival for The Mangler, which was that Stephen King movie I wrote. Um, and it just it just came to me, this idea of flipping a coin, of what if someone made all their decisions just based on flipping a coin. And, and the title came to me, Heads or Tails. And then that came together with my love of crime movies. I mean, I've always loved movies about people on the fringes of society. You know, I loved The Longer Friday. It's a great English crime movie. And I love The Sopranos. I mean, you know, why do we, why are people drawn to criminals? You know, what is it about Tony Soprano? He, he's a horrible human being, but yet we root for him. Why is that, you know? And it's because these people have a code of ethics that they stick by and we kind of admire that they have loyalty they have love in a certain way and so i i've 
characters that are just on the fringes of society, particularly criminals who are on the bottom end of the food chain, who are just barely scraping by but are, have dreams of making it big. So I combined those two things and came up with this crime story called Heads and Tails. And it actually came to me in a very stream of consciousness way. I made a couple of notes at the hotel that night, came home, and I wrote the draft in two weeks. Wow. And that's pretty much the shooting draft. I made very few, I revised it for budget, and that was it. But dialogue, character, all that was all from that first draft. And um, and I, the only thing I changed was I realized in a weird way that Heads and Tails is the Wizard of Oz, where the bad guy needs a heart and the good guy needs a brain, and they're chasing a guy who needs to find courage. Uh, there's a young woman who just wants to go home, and there's someone behind the curtain, this grand wizard, pulling the strings. And that was totally subconscious. I did not intend to write it as the Wizard of Oz. But then I went back and added... The only revision I really made, other than for budget, was adding the lines one character says to the other, uh, tail says to heads, if you only had a brain, and head says to heart, uh, says to tails, if you only had a heart, you know, and that kind of thing. <laughs> That's clever. That's cool. Um, alrighty, so uh, if you had to sort of pick a, and we're going we're to get to your current movie in, in just a couple minutes, but... Um, okay. If you could, if you had to pick an event in your life that would make just a pretty interesting movie, what would uh, what event in your life would you choose, and and uh, what director besides yourself would you choose to uh, to direct it? Hmm, my life has been really boring. So it'd be an in, it'd be an indie <laughs> flick then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be like a mumblecore kind of thing. <laughs> um, well, I would say. In terms of just a moment, was because uh, I directed Second Unit on a movie in India, where I, I mean it's 24 hours of flying to get to India, and when I got off the plane in Mumbai, it was midnight Indian time, and I got off the plane, and I stepped out of the terminal into India. It was like setting foot on Mars. It was. Because it has India has aromas and sounds and you know it's just so foreign. The architecture and so on is just and plus I was sleep deprived as well. So it was very dreamlike this moment of the doors parting and wading out into the sea of humanity that is India. And the bright colors, because everything's painted brightly. Um so I would say that moment directed by David Lean, who's no longer with us, but it was sort of, I felt like, I, I'm a student of old movies, in case you can't tell. I, I'm, I was sort of like the first time Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia encounters the desert, and he's on this in this alien landscape of the desert. I was in an alien landscape that was India, and it was just epic. Hmm. Would uh, would this film, would that moment be at the end of the film? So the movie takes place like on nope. an airplane and it's all yeah. about, will you get off, will you go back, something like that? Or it would, would this be, be that, the beginning? It would be that page 15 moment, hmm. <laughs> you know, where I, I got the assignment on page three to go to India. And then 
I'm debating whether or not to go, and then page five, I decide to take the assignment, and page five through eight, I'm packing and preparing, and page ten, I'm on the plane, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and page twelve to fifteen, the doors open, and there I am in the foreign land. <laughs> And the music swells, and it's slow motion, and I'm wading through this crowd of children begging me for money. I mean, it's this very surreal moment. It's hmm. interesting. But it would have to be widescreen and possibly IMAX 3D. <laughs> with, uh, with some digital 3D characters. You know, Jar Jar no, would have to no, make No, 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 no digital characters. I come from effects. I want it pure. No <laughs> effects. Just real real Indians in a real environment. All right, all right, all right. Gollum would make an appearance. All right, no Jar Jar Gollum. Yeah, right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Alrighty, so it's that time for the uh, the current uh, project that you're working on. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it's the called The Directors, right? Yes, called The Director, singular. Director. Right. Well, this is the other, interestingly enough, the, the only other script that just came to me complete. I mean, every other thing I've written, and I've written a lot of scripts, most of which you know, just sitting in the closet while well, sitting on the hard drive. Um, the director came to me complete. I didn't outline it. It just, boom, it was there. I sat down two weeks later. I had the draft. And uh, the director came to me out of a, a, a phrase that um, I've uttered many times coming out of a movie theater, and I think other people have as well, and that is, why can't life be like the movies? You come out of a love story and they, despite all the odds, two people find each other or, you know, the, the, the accountant who's kind of the nerd saves the world because he turns out he has superpowers. Whatever the story is, you come out of the theater and you go, God, why can't life be like that? Everybody wins. The bad guys lose. There is justice. So the director came out of that that idea of why can't life be like the movies, you know, with bigger than life heroes, happy endings, finding true love. And then I took the next step, which is now imagine that your life is like the movies and you're the director. So I patterned this, uh, I was inspired by the classic holiday movie, It's a Wonderful Life, right, where Jimmy Stewart plays this character named Harry Bailey who. Uh, I don't know, Harry was his brother. Oh, God, you better edit that, that I don't even know. <laughs> George, George Bailey. He plays George Bailey. Harry was his brother. George Bailey, um, who, despite being a wonderful human being and having a tremendous effect on everyone around him, is despondent that his life isn't going well. He jumps in a river to kill himself. He's rescued by a mysterious angel named Clarence, who grants him one wish and Harry uh, I'm sorry George's wish is you know I wish I'd never been born so Clarence then shows George Bailey what the world would be like if he was never born well I took that another step which is I take a washed up but still young film director who's had some success last couple of movies have failed uh, no one will return his phone calls. His wife has divorced him because she's an actress and she only married him because he was a director, a successful director. He kills himself, jumps in the river, rescued by a mysterious angel who happens to be a beautiful woman, um, although she calls herself Clarence. And he is granted one last wish and he says, why can't life be like the movies? 
He wakes up the next day, his life repeats itself, but everyone is asking him for direction. He wants to take a cab somewhere, and the cab driver is saying, well, how do you want me to go? Do you want me to take this road or that road or that road? He goes, I don't know, just drive. And the cab driver goes, well, just, I'm just looking for a little direction, that's all. His ex-wife comes back to him, the studio wants to make his movie, everything seems to be going his way, and he finally realizes that his wish has been granted. His life is now like the movies, and he's the director. But he also finds the limitations. He can't create something from nothing because he's just the director. All he can do is take what's there and shape it and so on. And, and he soon finds out that this life is not real. It's like a movie. That's great. And, and there's another aspect I've added to it, which is the angel Clarence, who's this beautiful woman. Um, and I sort of been inspired by another film that I love called Wings of Desire, which is a Wim Wenders German film, about an angel who comes to Earth and observes humans. So this angel, Clarence, this beautiful woman and the director, observes humans. She she thinks humans are silly. Humans just will commit suicide over the silliest things. They throw away this precious gift that is life. And she just thinks she's extremely cynical and she but but harry the director starts to realize that his life was better the other way he starts to become more human and in turn she starts to see that there is some value to humanity she starts to fall in love with him so there's that angle as well and i won't give away the ending because there's some huge twists along the way so it's a very mainstream kind of fantasy uh that came out of this simple idea of why can't life be like the movies? No, that sounds, uh, that sounds amazing. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to give away the ending, cause you know, Gollum makes an appearance there. That's, that's, that's okay, exactly right. <laughs> understandable. Um, alrighty. So the final question, uh, for today, if you had to do a, uh, some sort of street performance to raise money for your project, what kind of performance would it be? Hmm. I would hire my actor friends to do it for me. <laughs> I would hire them to do a soliloquy from Macbeth or something like that. Because I'm not, I am not a performer myself. I generate performances in others and manipulate performances in others. So I would hire an actor friend and say, you go do that. You stand on the street corner. I'll watch you and correct you when you make mistakes. <laughs> in front of everyone. That's great. In front, in front of everyone. Exactly. <laughs> you'll curse at him. You'll yell at him and you'll cost him. Yeah. See, that's the thing is I don't, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I don't, I don't yell. I don't I scream. I, I'm not, well, I mean, some directors do, you know, it's, uh, I mean, another thing I do, I don't even raise my voice when I'm dealing with actors, is I, I don't even call to them from across the set. I walk right up to them and just have a conversation with them between takes. It's much more personal. Steven, you've been, uh, you've been great. Thank you so much for okay, well, thank uh, you. giving me this time. I really appreciate it. It was uh, yeah. some really interesting... And with that, I said goodbye to Stephen David Brooks, not to be confused with the science fiction TV actor Stephen Brooks. Ladies, this man is his own unique beast, Stephen David Brooks. But also not to be confused with the funeral home director, Stephen David Brooks. This man is the writer-director and recovering visual effects supervisor, Stephen David Brooks. 
Thank you so much for uh, giving your time, Mr. Brooks. And if anyone is interested in checking out his work, website, URL, scripts, visual effects work, and uh, even where he takes his dog for walks, please check out our website, www.auroralightworks.blogspot.com. My name is Lawrence Cohen. Thank you for checking us out, and we'll see you next week.